Thank you. Thank you. I just want to read one verse from Isaiah 64, verse 7. And there is none that calleth upon thy name that stirreth up himself to take hold of thee. For thou hast hid thy face from us and hast consumed us because of our iniquities. The Puritans took this text and they uh, really got hold of this statement that God is complaining that no one takes hold of him. And uh, I've, I've studied this phrase in Puritan literature, and I want to bring you um, six or seven very, very brief thoughts, um, and you can flesh it out in your own mind later. What does it mean to take hold of God in prayer? And, and the Puritans uh, talk, talk a lot about that. Um, the first thing they say is that you can't take hold of God in prayer except by exercising faith in, in Jesus. Uh, Hebrews 10, 19. Dr. Beakey, you have been muted for some reason. Where did where did I cut out? Hebrews ten nineteen. You are about to read. Okay, okay, yep, okay. In Hebrews ten nineteen, it says, "We enter into the holiest by the blood of Christ." And then Ephesians two eighteen says, "Through Him we have access to the Father, for Christ alone is the mediator." First um, Timothy two five says, "Between God and men." And so George Downame, the Puritan, says, if we must have a mediator and there's only one mediator, the only way to take hold of God is through that, that mediator, to pray in his name. Number two, we take hold of God when we plead his promises in prayer, when we plead his promises in prayer. Uh, Thomas Manton, the Puritan, says one good way to get comfort is to plead the promises of God in prayer. Show him his handwriting. God is tender of his own handwriting. You know, my dad was a very godly man, and I had an elder come to me. He's passed away now, too, but the elder came to me maybe 10 years ago and found in his attic a letter my dad had written to him about my dad's conversion in my dad's handwriting. And when he handed it to me, he said, I thought you might want to keep this. And I go, wow, this is amazing. My dad's conversion in my dad's own handwriting. I would love to keep this. Thank you so much. But later I was thinking, when we bring back God's promises to him in prayer, the handwriting of his own word, how it pleases God to be taken hold of in those promises. Uh, one Puritan said, prayer is nothing but the promise reversed. God's word formed into an argument back to heaven, retorted by faith back upon God again. And God loves those kinds of arguments. 
because all the promises of God are yea and amen in his son. William Spursto, in his book, The Wells, the Wells of Salvation Open, on the promises of God, by far the best book ever written in the English language on the promises of God. He says, there are 3,500 promises of God in the Bible. And what, what God does is he puts them all into a bag like golden coins. And then he takes the bag and he comes over to his child, unties the string and pours out the bag at his feet and says, my child, take whatever you will. Wow. So rich, so free. And uh, another place in that book, he says, promises of God are like the stars in the heaven. You go outside your home at night, you look up and you say, oh, there's a star. It must be a little bit clear tonight. Wait, wait, wait a minute. No, there's two. Oh, I see five now. And as your light gets, your eyes get adjusted. Say, wait a minute. The whole sky is full of stars. He says, that's the way you should read the Bible. You find a promise here. And you find another one there, another one there. And you just keep multiplying them and you bring them back to God one by one. That's taking hold of God. Number three, we take hold of God when we look to the glorious Trinity, the glorious Trinity in prayer. So again, Ephesians 2.18, let me read the whole verse here. For through Christ Jesus, we have access by one spirit unto the Father. You feel the Trinitarian flavor there. And uh, the Puritans would say something like this. I'll put this on my own words. Prayer is like a golden chain around my neck. And it runs, if you can see my hand on the top, it runs from the eternal decree of the Father who decrees true prayer for us. Then it goes down through the merits of Christ who merits true prayer for us. And then it enters into our own soul, the bottom of the circle, where the Holy Spirit groans within us, groanings that are unutterable. And those groanings then go back up to the Father by the Son, who salts them with the salt of his own sufferings and sanctifies them. And he presents them back to the Father, accepted in the Father's sight for the sake of the Son. So Father, Son, Spirit, Son, Father like a golden chain. It's a circle. And uh, it's Trinitarian throughout. Without the Son, our prayers would have no merit, no value. Without the Father, we'd never be able to do it. And without the Holy Spirit groaning in us, we couldn't do it either. So we, need, we lean heavily on all three persons of the Spirit, of, of the Trinity, rather, um, in prayer as we take hold of God. As uh, John Owen says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. Owen used that text, that text, that Trinitarian text, as his argument that in prayer we commune with all three persons of the Trinity, sometimes distinctly and sometimes together. And four, we take hold of God when we believe that God will actually hear and answer prayer. One of my greatest problems in prayer, I'm sure some of you can identify with this, is you pray, and, and you're sincere when you pray, 
but you can hardly believe that God will answer it. And then when he answers it, you're surprised, even though he promises to be a prayer giving, a prayer hearing, and a prayer answering God. Well, I once found comfort in my unbelief <laughs> from reading in Acts about that servant girl. They prayed for Peter's release from prison, and Rhoda came to the door, and she was so excited that Peter was there that she ran to tell the others with great surprise, Peter is here, even though she didn't. I don't think she even let Peter in at that moment. She just was so amazed. But we ought not be so amazed when God hears our prayers. This is what he's promised to do. Maybe you've heard me. I've, I've used this illustration in several of my talks. Some of you may have heard it. But anyway, there's a story in America of a, of a, of a pastor who was very frustrated. So were his church people over a tavern that was. Uh, people were coming in the tavern late on Saturday night drinking too much, they come out in the parking lot of the church, which is adjacent to the tavern, and they'd vomit all over the church parking lot. And it was just such a mess, so gross. And so the pastor talked to the tavern keeper, but nothing changed. And finally, the tavern owner said, you know, we're going to have to go to, I mean, the church, the, the minister said, we're going to have to go to prayer about this. So, so they prayed that God would somehow bring deliverance from this uh, gross weekly experience they were having and a couple weeks later god sent a tornado to that town completely wiped out the tavern totally gone and didn't touch the church and so the tavern owner who was an atheist took the church to court because he heard they were praying against him and he got in court and the judge heard both sides and the tavern owner said you know I'm suing this church for money because they destroyed my tavern. And the church said, we didn't do anything. We didn't touch your tavern. And the judge said, this is the strangest case I've ever heard. He said, atheists believing in prayer and Christians not believing in prayer. You see, we have got to believe in prayer because we believe in the God who gives and hears and answers prayer. So, when we take hold of God, we come with that expectation. God really will hear these cries. He will answer our prayers. Sometimes he answers them with a no, but he always answers our prayers sooner or later. And then five, we take hold of God in prayer when we seek the glory of God in prayer. When we truly say, hallowed be thy name. And so we submit all our petitions to the will, to the glory of of God. And six, we take hold of God when we, when we develop a right heart, a right heart toward God in prayer. It's the heart that is crucial. Um, Thomas Brooks said, God really doesn't care all that much how long our prayers are. He's not interested in the arithmetic of our prayers or the geometry of our prayers, but he's, in, he's interested in the sincerity of our prayers how hearty they are. They've got to be done in faith. They've got to be done with repentance. They've got to be done with a fervent, heartfelt desire, with a heart of humility before God, with the boldness in Christ, with a sense of love and forgiveness for other people, and with gratitude to God. 
the heart is the key. And finally, seventhly, we take hold of God when we rest with contentment in God's all-sufficiency in prayer. We rest in contentment, knowing that God's in control. We give him, we give him the driving wheel, say, Lord, you drive my life, and I'm just a passenger pleading for grace, uh, coming along for, for the ride. So prayer is difficult and demanding work, but these are seven ways that we can take hold of God. And the more we take hold of God by the grace of the Holy Spirit, really the better, the better we pray.